mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, you're for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let us pray. Eternal Father, Lord, we come to you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, and our Lord. For you have spoken in various times and various ways to your people in the past and in these last days, in your Son, the incarnate Word, in the Holy Scriptures. Father, we pray that you will open the mouth of your servant to proclaim that Word in power of the Spirit. And we pray that this same spirit will open the hearts of the hearers today here in Hope Church to receive your holy gospel and write on all of our hearts your holy word, even as you have promised us. Amen. So today we will look at uh, three three uh, subjects, three kind of an outline, that, but everything sort of overlaps, but... What we'll be focusing on is rejoicing in our living hope, the resurrection, and eternal life. Rejoicing, number two is where we'll spend most of our time, rejoicing in the refinement that furthers the revelation of Jesus Christ in our lives. And thirdly, rejoicing in the future glory of believers that are in Christ. So first of all, in verse 6, that those first four words there refer to all the things that Peter had written before, which is why we read from verse 3. In those things we rejoice. It's a salvation that's based on hope, and it's a steadfast hope of our salvation. And what does it rest upon? Last time we looked at the resurrection, the resurrection from the dead. And we contemplated the thought that if there is no resurrection, then, you know, we're crazy. You know, there's no hope. We're the most foolish. We're the most pitiable of all people. But there is a resurrection. And that proved that all that Jesus said he would do, all that he came to do to redeem us from our sins, was approved by God. And we can stand fast in that. Colossians 1.18 tells us that he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. And he is the firstborn from the dead. He leads the way for us, that in everything he might be preeminent. In 1 Corinthians 15, we read that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. We give thanks, we rejoice this day, because we saw in those first, in verses 3 through 5, 
God gave his great mercy to us as sinners and we are born again. He did his great work in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He shows us that his promise is safe and secure and that he has a gracious inheritance laid up for us that nothing uh, nothing can touch, nothing can corrupt, nothing can take away. And finally, we saw that his great power preserves us through the faith that we have in him. And so we can cry out in victory, we can cry and rejoice this morning, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter writes, rejoice, rejoice in all of that glorious truth. And that word rejoice is agaleo in the Greek, but it means to jump for joy, to be exultant, to be exceedingly glad, to be filled with exceeding joy. And it's the same word that's used when uh, uh, Luke uh, records for us uh, Mary's response to all that she had just heard uh, from the angel and from Elizabeth. And when she prays that prayer that we call the Magnificat, she said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. She's exultant. She's exceedingly joyful. She's glad. She's filled with joy. That word is also used in Acts 16, 34, the Philippian jailer when Paul and Silas were in the jail and they're singing and all of a sudden everybody is set free and the jailer is afraid for his own life and Paul uh, encourages him and he brought them up into his house, the jailer did, and set food before them and he rejoiced. He was exceedingly glad. He was exulting that along with his entire household that he had believed in God and they had received God's salvation. And we look in the last book in our testament, Revelation 19.7, at the marriage feast of the Lamb. We're invited to rejoice. The word there is different. It means cheerful and exult. And there's that word again. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, the Lamb of God. And another place in which that word is used is Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. The word rejoice in, this is Matthew five eleven. the word rejoice there is kairos, which means to be cheerful, but it says rejoice and be glad, and be glad there is again that word to be exultant, to be filled with exceeding joy. That's what Jesus said, if you suffer, if you suffer ridicule, if you suffer persecution, you suffer evil because you bear my name, because you walk in the gospel that I have given you, your reward is great in heaven. Rejoice and be exultant, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, we think about our world today, and, uh, you know, for, for so long, Christians have been able to speak openly and, you know, with very little... Uh, concern about uh, having retribution or people criticizing, uh, you know, for the large part of our, our culture here in America. But we see that changing now. We see 
we see that when someone like a representative like Mike Johnson says that you want to know what my worldview is, it's that Bible, you know, that you see right there, everything that's in it, that's my worldview. Or when he relates that when he and his son have formed a partnership with each other to use an application called Covenant Eyes on their uh, electronic devices to, uh, to uh, seek to avoid falling into pornography, which is so pernicious that he's labeled as creepy. It's called creepy. So, you know, we can be ready for those things. I think, I think those things will happen more often as you see it already happening. But, you know, here's a man that we should pray for, a leader in our government, because he will hear all kinds of things, but you and I will face that too. If we bear the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we speak as we prayed in that prayer that there are times that we we say things we shouldn't say and then there are times when there are things that we should have said that we didn't say and so lord forgive us but help us to be the bearers of the gospel of christ and be ready to rejoice whenever those things may happen to us the second point we rejoice in the refinement that furthers the revelation of jesus christ in our lives so verse 6b Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So several years ago, Theopolis' Lighthouse Mission leadership at the suggestion of a Johnny Carrier changed its name to the Refinery uh, Mission. The reason being is that a lighthouse sends its light out to indicate an area, you know, where ships, uh, you know, need to see that light to avoid running aground and being ruined. So it was a navigational aid pointing to safer waters. But Johnny felt that the full mission of the ministry was to refine men in the service of Jesus Christ. And certainly have come, many have come and need introduction to the light of the gospel first. And then the process of refinement begins. And that process of refinement is, you know, starts when we become a new believer. And it continues on until the day that we draw our last breath. Or until Christ comes and gets us before that. But smelting, when we talk about gold and silver being refined and and in Opelousas, when we talk about uh, cottonseed, corn, or palm oil, in the refinement process, all of those things are subjected to heat, to pressure, to chemical reactions to obtain a pure product. It's a process that often gives off noxious odors as you burn off the unwanted substances in them. And in people, this process is messy painful it's filled with failures and successes but for those who submit to the process of these difficult changes in sinful life habits there is joy in the end at the refinery we see many men saved by the grace of God and grow and mature in the faith and in the practical aspects of living as a blessing to their communities but the most precious thing is that by the grace of God they know Jesus as Lord and Savior and have gained the promise 
of the resurrection and eternal life. So I mention that because it's a very visible form of refinement, you know, that those who work there in the, in the ministry and those who, are, who live there, you know, see from day to day. But it is a process. And Peter writes here, he says, you're to rejoice. We're to rejoice in all of these promises, these truths that God has given to us. He says, but, you know, at times you're going to be grieved by various trials. You're going to be grieved by various trials. But that's a good thing because it's going to do a good work in you. And that word grieve means to be sorrowful or to grieve, to make sorry, to be in heaviness. And Paul used that word as well in writing to the Corinthian church about the many trials and persecutions that he and his companions had faced in their ministry. He says, I write to you as sorrowful, but yet always rejoicing. Now the word rejoicing there is is the word Cairo, which means has more a, a connotation of cheerfulness. But it, it all goes together. It all works together, even though it might be two different words. And the trials that uh, the word is used there, the trials that he's speaking about, that Greek word means that it's, it's a putting to proof. It's a putting to proof. You know, when you, you, you see things, you have, you have time trials, you know, when you have like the Indianapolis Raceway, you have Elon Musk and SpaceX. You know, I like, I like rocket ships and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, they're sending these rockets up without anybody on board because they're in the process of proving and refining the equipment and the engines and all the technology that goes into that. So the last one blew up and caught on fire again, too. So thankfully no one's in it. But the Lord doesn't blow us up and cause us to be caught on fire thankfully but it's a refining process it's a proving it has an end in sight it's not just meanness it's not just hard times just for the sake of hard times it has an end purpose that that it's going to prove something in our lives it's discipline provocation and by implication adversity all people suffer adversity and trials in many spheres of our life whether it's persecution for being a believer, whether it's financial troubles, temptations to sin, character weaknesses, you have a certain bent that you just have a hard time fighting, professional or workplace troubles, family issues. You know, as the old preacher once said, you got troubles, I got troubles, all God's people got troubles. You know, we're... We're all in fellowship. We're all fellows in the same ship in this time and in this life. But sometimes our trials, our testings, and our provings are the direct consequences of particular sins. comes as discipline from the Lord. Or other life experiences and decisions that we may have made that have consequences. And at other times, we don't really know. We don't really know why. We're going through a particular trial. We know that that we're to expect them because we are sinners. We're saved by God's grace. And God has told us that he will refine us. So sometimes we might not know the exact reason why we're going through a particular trial. And so we remember, though, that it is God's grace 
Lord, if you marked our iniquities, Psalm 130 says, which one of us could even stand? But God is gracious to us, even in our trials. David suffered the enmity of Saul for years, even though he was righteous in God's sight. But God was doing something in David. He also suffered the consequences of his sin with Bathsheba for years. His firstborn with her died soon after birth. And although God perpetuated David's line as he promised through their second son Solomon, the sword never departed from his household. You think especially of the story of Absalom. Paul comments on God humbling him due to the abundance of revelations that he had received in the third heavens. And so he writes, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, even though none of us have experienced the lofty revelations that Paul received, it is easy for us with much smaller things to be filled with pride or arrogance an unqualified lofty view of our own opinions and actions, all of that can slip in on us, you know, quite easily. Um, But God is watching out for us. God is watching out for us. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? He addresses us as his children. The writer of Hebrews says, and he quotes the Old Testament, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved of him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son that he receives. So we go back to God's purposes that are written by Peter. These trials given to us, the Lord grows us up, He matures us. He forms character in us. And so like the gold that is being smelted as the heat and the pressure are applied, the impurities come to the top and they're burned off. And it's not a a pleasant time, but it is a profitable time. So Peter says, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than that of the gold, may be found to result In what? In the praise and the glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. God has his reasons. God has his reasons for the trials that we experience in our life. If he did not have a reason, the burdens, we would not be able to bear them. We would not be able to do that. We would be crushed. But even though we cannot see God's reasons for our trials at times, we know from his word that they can only occur at his pleasure. John Calvin writes, his purpose is to teach the benefit we receive when we hope 
that we shall be saved, namely, the spiritual joy which not only mitigates the bitterness of all the evil that we experience, but it conquers all melancholy or it conquers all depression. Now, have you ever been in an afflictive trial where you know, you know, you've heard these words before, you know, rejoice in everything, but you just can't bring yourself to do that? Maybe not even smile, maybe not even be cheerful, much less be exultant and leaping for joy or shout with glory in the midst of it. Can we rightly feel and express sorrow and sadness and pain and grief in the midst of those trials and still rejoice? I'll, uh, I'll quote Calvin at length here because he expresses the tension that we experience with that wisely. But it appears rather contradictory that the faithful who exult with joy should at the same time be sorrowful, for these are opposite feelings. But they know by experience what words can hardly express, that joy and sorrow do go together. However, to settle the matter with few words, the faithful are not blocks of wood, or we might say we're not robots. The faithful are not blocks of wood, that they should be bereft of human sensibility and feeling and emotions when they meet sorrow, or that they should not be afraid when in peril or be troubled by poverty or by the hardships they have to endure on the persecution. Therefore, evil does indeed make them unhappy, but faith sweetens their sorrow so that there is no lack of joy in them because of it. Their sorrow yields to their rejoicing rather than preventing it. Again, even though joy overcomes sorrow, still it does not abolish it because it does not deprive us of our humanity. Thus, we learn true patience for its beginning and as it were, its very root is the knowledge of God's favor, especially the awareness of the honor that he has done us by freely adopting us. We are his. So anybody who keeps this grace of God in mind has little trouble in absorbing the evils which he endures. For why is it that we are oppressed by a melancholy spirit, if not because we have no taste for the good, which is spiritual? Anybody who realizes that the trouble he undergoes have their proper use as trials expedient for his salvation will not only rise above them, but turn them into occasions of joy. So brothers and sisters, we must learn God's ways by adhering to the truth of his word, by resting in his promises every day, because every day before this week is up, some of you are going to experience some adversity, some trial. And we must rest on the foundation that he has given us. I'll give you a few scriptures here. Uh, rapid fire. Job 5, 17, 18. Job 5, 17, 18. Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. 
For he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. Psalm 94, 12. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law. It says we're blessed if that's happening to us. Psalm 119, verses 67 and 75. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness, faithfulness, you have afflicted me. Even even the church in Laodicea, which, you know, we read that and we oftentimes forget that Christ loved his church in Laodicea. He had harsh words. He had strong words for them. But he told them, he said in verse 19 of Revelation chapter 3, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. And the Lord knows that in the midst of those trials that we do have sorrows. And he is there and he hears. He is not hidden from us, although it may feel that way. Psalm 56, 8 says to us, you have kept count of my tossings. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? So brothers and sisters, these words are an encouragement to us. They are an encouragement to us because our God is working in us in such a way that it will result in praise and glory to him. And it will result in our comfort, in our strength, in our assurance growing in our glorious Lord. Paul writes in Romans 5.3, We rejoice in our sufferings, or we boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why is that? Because God's love, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit because that's who he has given to us, the Spirit. Jesus promised his disciples before he left. He said, I must go and you can't follow me, he says, but it's needful for me to go so that I can send you the Holy Spirit. So we will enjoy uh, the deep insights, you know, that God gives us. Because he does give us insight when he brings us through these trials. C.S. Lewis writes, suffering is not good in itself, or it's not enjoyable in itself, but what is good in any painful, what is good in any painful experience is for the sufferer, his submission to the will of God, and for the spectators, the compassion that is aroused in the acts of mercy to which it leads. Job 23.10, he knows the way that I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Calvin writes again, the whole course of our lives moves toward the destruction of the outer man, and all the things that we suffer are so many anticipations of death. Therefore, if we want to see glory and praise in the midst of our afflictions, we had better fix our eyes on Christ.
A third point, rejoicing by faith in the future glory of believers in Christ. Peter writes, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Peter commends those. Peter who saw the Lord. Peter who spent several years with the Lord. Peter who saw him when he began his ministry. Peter who you know, saw him when he died on the cross. When Peter denied him. When Jesus restored him. When Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. Peter saw all those things. But he's commending those to whom he's writing. He says you have never seen Jesus like I saw him. But you believe, you believe, you love him, and you rejoice with a joy that is, that is just bursting inside of you to where many times we don't even have the words to express it, but they're filled with glory. And Jesus, our Lord, you remember when, when Thomas doubted him, and Jesus said, well, Thomas, because you've seen me, you believe, but he said, blessed, blessed. Receive all these blessings today. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And Jesus in his high priestly prayer for us. Prayed for us who do not see him face to face yet. He says, I do not ask for these only for his disciples. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one just as you father in me and I in you. They may also be in us that the world may believe. That you have sent me. So we know that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So we have faith in the Lord. By the Spirit's life giving breath, we come to faith and we trust in our Lord Jesus Christ. And He fills us with that Spirit. We have that joy that is inexpressible, as Peter writes. We have that peace that passes all understanding. As Paul writes in Philippians 4. And we also have a God as Paul writes in his prayer in Ephesians 3. When he prays that we would understand the height, width, length and depth of God's love for us. The God who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Praise be to his name. The foundation of all of this is this for by grace we have been saved through faith and that not of ourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast Romans 6.23 the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus Romans 8.15 we have not received a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. And finally, in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 3 to 4, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. So 
We have the already and the not yet. He is here with us now. But then we shall see him face to face. And then we shall see his glory. And then our joy will be complete. Because he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things, trials, and all of those things have passed away. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word this day. Thank you, O Father, that you have mercies upon us, that you let us know in many and diverse ways, Lord, that you have that you never leave us and you never forsake us, that you call us to come to you, crying to you, and that you hear us when we call out to you in faith. You hear us when we call out to you in weakness. You hear us when we call out to you in despair, and you hear us when we call out to you in exuberant joy. Lord, glory, glory be to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.